Welcome to The Curiosity of A Child Episode 29 I think Yeah, I think it's 29 Two. Uh, We've had a little bit of a summer break, haven't we? Yeah, you're on your summer holidays, so we thought we'd chill out a bit That's mm-hmm. why we haven't recorded for a while But in that time, we've set up our store where mm-hmm. you can get some Curiosity of a Child and your YouTube gaming channel merchandise such as t-shirts and cushions and cups e- Even hoodies Yeah, that's right, yeah what else have we been up to during our break? We've been doing the big butterfly count. We saw loads of red admirals, um, a couple of common, uh, yeah, common blues, I think, and holly blues. Yeah, gatekeeper, loads of those. Loads. Or meadow browns, actually, wasn't it, I think? We couldn't quite decide with some of them. Yeah, difficult to do. So if you've got kids, or even if you don't have kids, get the big butterfly count app. This in the UK, and uh, you can go out butterfly hunting. Can we have a drum roll, please, Anton? We entered the My Roadcast competition and we won highly commended! Twice! Twice, yes. So um, we've won some new microphones that haven't arrived yet, but we have invested in a microphone arm. Mm-hmm. So this is the first time we've ever recorded without me holding the microphone. Yeah, this is actually really cool. It feels more professional. I mean, we're still doing it in a wardrobe, but <laughs> yeah. hey-ho. Yeah. Um, yeah, anyway, enough rabbiting. Shall we get on with the show? Yep, on with the show. Okay, this week, this week, <laughs> this episode, we are going to look at perception. Oh, perception. It's also an interactive episode, so you can join in at home. Just go to our website, thecuriosityofachild.com, and look for this episode. Now, Anton, do you understand what is meant by perception? What I it means to perceive so. something? Mm-hmm. I, it's like your view of something it's like how you perceive it take it in or see something yeah also kind of how you understand it yeah so it's your way of maybe understanding the truth of an idea according to your views or knowledge or it could be your perception with your senses so how your eyes ears brain taste all your senses are interpreting something and or it could be if you perceive something you become aware of it or conscious of it so when you look around at the world, do you feel you've kind of got an understanding of what you're looking at? Usually, for example, now I'm looking at the microphone <laughs> yeah. and I'm perceiving the microphone. Yes. Or well, what about when you meet other people? Do you feel you understand those people and all different types of people? Yeah, you have like your ideas about them. So if, I don't know, someone was wearing a hat but it's in the middle of summer, you'd be thinking like, what, what, what are they doing? Maybe they come from a northern region where it's colder. <laughs> yep. <laughs> um, what about the economy or politics? Do you think you understand those? What? I don't, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> well, it turns out that most people are really, really bad at understanding these things. We also see things that aren't there, and our brain takes loads of shortcuts, and we have biases, and we have opinions, and we also have really terrible memories at remembering the details. So what we're perceiving, whether it's through our senses or what we think about the world, probably isn't right. Hmm. But the real problem is, is that we don't actually realise that we're really bad at this stuff. We actually think we're pretty amazing, (laughs) and the majority of people um, perceive themselves as above average. I guess they make a new average. (laughs) Above yeah. average is the new average. Yes. Yeah, above average is the new average. Yeah. I like that. Yeah. <laughs> That's going to be my inspirational like catchphrase when I'm an inspirational talker. I'm not sure how inspirational it is, though. <laughs> um, oh, well. So we're going to work our way through a few experiments in this episode, which you can do at home, um, and also maybe look at a few studies to see where we're all going wrong. But also understand that this is totally normal and see if there's any ways that we can improve. Okay. Yes. We might also find time to show you that actually sometimes you are quite amazing. Ooh. I mean, when aren't I? Well, that's true. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> now, because it's an audio-based podcast, we are going to start with some visual experiments. Sound good? Yep. And remember, you can play along at thecuriousityofachild.com. Experiment one. I don't want you to try and be too clever here, okay? You just have to say what you see, not what you know or might know the right answer to be, okay? Okay. So... There's two orange dots, and one is surrounded by large dots, and one is surrounded by small dots. Now, can you tell me, out of those two orange dots, which one is biggest? I think it's the one surrounded by smaller dots, but I think I I know it isn't. (laughs) (laughs) Exactly. So what's going on here 
is your brain is misinterpreting what it's seeing. And this is called the Ebbinghaus illusion. And it's a really simple experiment here, but this is actually the first lie that our brain is doing. And this is the first time that we're actually seeing that our perceptions or our understanding of the world is being tricked. And it's actually something beyond our control. So as you said, you thought they're the same size, they are the same size, but to our eyes or our brain, they appear different sizes. Yeah. Now what actually happens is your brain perceives those circles in a couple of different ways without you noticing. When you look at something, first your visual cortex right at the back of your brain will process that information and then it's pushed down different pathways in your head yeah. or in your brain. One route is called the ventral pathway and that goes to your inferior temporal cortex near your ears and there's another route called the dorsal pathway and that goes to your posterior parental cortex which I can't remember where that is. <laughs> at the back somewhere I think. <laughs> Now the first one, that's all to do with how you consciously perceive things and how you recognise them, whilst the dorsal pathway is how you interact with objects. Okay, so one's about seeing something and knowing it's a cat, and one's about maybe being able to pick it up. So whilst the orange dots may look different sizes to your inferior temporal cortex, if you were to try and pick them up, your posterior parental cortex would open your fingers to just the right amount. Hmm. So the same for both circles. Yeah. So the two parts of your brain are actually perceiving the same thing differently but you're not consciously aware of that. Yeah. There could be people who've got brain damage to one or other of those regions, so they might be able to recognise something, but not be able to pick it up properly. Okay, so they can't work out the size. Or, vice versa, they might not be able to recognise something, but can pick it up. Hmm. Which is really weird, isn't it? Mm -hmm. There's a fantastic book that actually goes into lots of things like this, which is called The Man Who Mistook His Wife for a Hat by Oliver Sacks, and I highly recommend people go and read it. I should also say that some of these experiments that we're covering at the moment come from a book called Mind Hacks by Tom Stafford and Matt Webb. And you can find more about that at mindhacks.com. Experiment two. So this is your blind spot. You just see a diagram with a cross on the left and a dot to the right. Anton, I want you to close your left eye and look at the cross with your right eye. Yeah. And you might have to move a bit closer to the screen uh -huh, and you should see the dot disappear. Yeah. Yeah. I remember this experiment as well. I like this. So you might need to go back and forth a bit if you're not able to do That's this. That's when it reappears. Yeah, I think the closer you get, uh, the harder it is to see. But there's like a specific spot. That's cool. Do you know why this happens? Nope. Okay, so our eyes have actually got a slightly odd design. Because we've got our retina at the back. And we've got the axon cells in front of the retina. So the retina's the light-sensitive part, okay? Mm-hmm. Um, but because all the um, I know, information that these cells are picking up has to be sent to the brain. Where your nerve is in your eye, yeah. there's kind of a little hole or a gap in your retina, and that's your blind spot. Hmm. And whenever you're looking at stuff, your blind spot's always there. It's not just when you're trying to look at something at the right distance. So whatever you're looking at right now, there's a blind spot in there somewhere in your perception. Mm -hmm. Okay, so let's go from hiding holes to creating ones that don't exist. Experiment three. So, Anton, I bet I can make a hole in your hand. Uh-oh. Should we have a go? Yeah. Okay, you need a bit of A4 paper or something for this, so let me go grab some. Roll it into a tube, about two centimetres wide. So this is a really simple experiment again. Now I want you to look through this like it's a telescope. Mm-hmm. Through one eye, and then hold your other hand about halfway along it. Like so, keep both eyes open. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, I remember this thing. And what like, can you see? A hole in my hand. But it's really weird because the colour, there's a little bit of colour inside the um, middle of the roll of this one, so it looks like... You try it. Is it so it looks like um, it's got shade Oops. and it's like... It's, I think it works particularly well with that specific roll of... Oh, yeah, it says um, yeah. on the printout, <laughs> yeah. That's a good one. Yeah, so what's happening here is... Um, both your eyes are taking in the light, but then your brain is combining that into one picture. And then it, it doesn't know what to do, because your hand's so close to your face, and then the tube is cutting off um, your other eye from seeing a broader expanse, so it makes it look like there's a hole in your hand. <laughs> Shall we take this a step further? Okay. We used to believe that perception was one way. So we would think that light entered our eyes when we saw the world and went all the way up through the parts of our brain. But this isn't really the truth. Um, and we're going to demonstrate some of that by making a face vanish. So this is a more involved experiment and we'll have a full link to the instructions on the website. 
but you'll need a white wall or a surface and a partner for this and also a mirror. It's not working very well here. I think our mirror might be a bit too small. Yeah, I was thinking that. What should happen though, your partner's face who you're looking at should start to disappear. Mm -hmm. But quite often when the last things to disappear will be the eyes and the mouth, which is a bit weird. Yeah. Um, because is it because that's how you recognise the person or something? I think so, yeah, and they're so kind of critical to our understanding and uh, such important features. If you're struggling with this effect, you might want to swap eyes that you're using with the mirror or swap sides. Or swap person as well. Or swap person, yeah. I mean, you should be doing that anyway because sharing's caring, but yeah. Very true, yes. So when your brain is trying to comprehend what it's seeing, it's building up a more complex understanding at each level. So it start off with kind of dots of light and the canes and rods of your eyes. Mm -hmm. Then these will become, say, lines and forms and shapes and objects and scenes, and then things you recognize like people's faces. Yeah. But at every level of this processing, being compared with what we're expecting to see, yeah. then our brain can start to make a decision on which bits it wants and which bits it doesn't actually need. So I think that's probably why your eyes and your mouth might stay longer because it feels it needs those bits, like you're saying, to try and recognize somebody. Yeah. Okay, so that's our visual experiments over. <laughs> um, so let's do some audio ones, shall we? Yep. This is called Shepherd's Scale. So are you ready? Ready. And it's best with headphones. So you've got your headphones on and you're ready to go. Yep. Now listen to this, okay? And what do you notice? It's best to leave it for a few seconds. It's going in like... It's going in like, um, it goes from a lower one to a higher one, and then it goes back to the lower one and to the higher one, like in the loop. It's continually getting higher and higher, isn't it? Mm -hmm. So this is the eternally ascending scale. Um, so part of your brain is going to think it's going to get really high-pitched soon, but it never does. Mm -hmm. And then to help you understand what's actually going on, I've got a visualisation here of um, the shepherd tone. So the tone is a more continuous sound rather than the individual notes. Okay. And all of this is linked to on the website. So can you work out what's going on there? So what actually happens with the shepherd tone or the shepherd um, scales is it's like the, sound, the same um, sound being played, layered, going from a lower pitch to a higher pitch over and over again. Yeah. Um, so as the first kind of iteration of it starts getting high pitch, it will really gently fade in a much deeper one, which will then get higher and higher and higher and replace the original. Yeah, I noticed so, that once. That was cool. You can actually do the same thing, not with the pitch, but with the speed. And I like to listen to my podcast sped up, so you, I like this effect. So this is called Reset's Accelerating Rhythm. Are you ready? <laughs> What's happening? I can't hear you. It's getting faster. Oh, no, it just got slower again, and it's going to do the same thing. It doesn't sound as slow as the beginning though, does it? I don't think so. So in your head it should seem like it's getting quicker and quicker and quicker and quicker all the time. So like the shepherd scale, again here it's the same bit of music, starting off slow and getting faster, mm -hmm. being looped and then slowly fading over one another. We're going to do experiment six now, which is called the missing fundamental. So when you listen to musical notes, there's actually loads of layered frequencies there, and they're measured in hertz. So that's basically how many times something vibrates every second, okay? Yeah. So do you understand how sound travels? I think so. How, how does it travel? No idea. When something makes a noise, it vibrates the molecules in the air, and those are going to kind of knock against or push the next lot of molecules, and those are going to push the next ones and the next ones and the next ones, mm -hmm. until it goes into your ear, and um, so your eardrum or parts of your ear are going to vibrate, yeah. and then you're going to hear that sound. So I've got a couple of demonstrations of frequencies here, okay? So this is 130 hertz. You ready? Mm -hmm. Okay. So this is 260. 
said double. Okay. And this is 520, just double again. Okay. Okay, so what happens when we increase the hertz? It gets a little more high pitch. Yes. Yeah, so the higher the frequency, the higher the pitch. Now, when a musical instrument is played, it's made up of the lowest bass or fundamental pitch and also higher ones that harmonise with it. So their frequencies are multiples of the original. So it could be if the bass or the fundamental is 100 hertz, then you could have 200, 300, 400, 500, okay? Yeah. Or if your fundamental is 200, then you'll have 400, 600, 800. Yeah. And the relative levels of each of these frequencies is going to be one of the things that makes different instruments sound the way they do. Now, the pitch that we actually hear comes from the fundamental, so that very bass note. And you can do a couple of tricks with this. If you remove the 200 hertz fundamental frequency from something, you will actually still hear it. Okay? So your ear can work out what the bass fundamental frequency should be, so you actually perceive the missing fundamental. That's cool. Mm-hmm. All of the frequencies can be shown as wavy lines. And then the higher the frequency, the longer the wave will be. Yeah. If you overlap all of them, um, they're going to meet. If you've got a frequency of 200 and 400, for example, for every one 400 wave, there's going to be two 200 waves. Yeah. And on the second one, they're going to meet. Okay? Oh, yeah. Does that make sense to you? Mm Mm-hmm. Because 200 plus 200. um... Exactly, yeah. So the bottom of the second 200 is going to match the bottom of the... One four hundred. Mm-hmm. Um, it'll make more sense with the diagram that we have on the website. So it's a tricky one to explain. Now, lots of telephones, um, they don't actually pick up frequencies below th- maybe three or four hundred hertz, but most adult voices are lower than that. <laughs> so the missing fundamental is actually fundamental to how a phone works. Yeah. But this isn't the interesting part. Now, listen to this, okay? Okay. Do you want to listen again? Okay. Is the second sound higher or lower than the first one? Um, I think it's lower. Now, there's no right or wrong answer in this, because both of those notes have actually had their fundamental removed. Mm-hmm. Now, some people hear the first note as higher and some people the second. To quote linguistics professor Tyler Paracini, Pitch only exists in our minds. It's a perceptual quality. So why might this be? Why might some people hear one higher than the other and one lower than the other? I'm not sure. A lot of it is thought to come down to the language that we speak and if it's a tonal language or not. Now, Chinese is a tonal language and English isn't. So in Mandarin, a word could have several meanings depending on the tone or the pitch that the speaker uses. Yeah. So I'm going to play... What's effectively the same sound here, but a different pitch, okay? Mm -hmm. So the first one is mother. Ma. Okay? Yeah. This is hemp. Ma. Yeah. Horse. Ma. Mm -hmm. And scold. Ma. Mm -hmm. So they're all the same sound, aren't they? But a different pitch. So maybe if your ear or your brain has got used to hearing that type of variation, Mm -hmm. then you become better. Or it changes the way that your brain perceives sound. So in a study, researcher Elizabeth Petitti and uh, Perichoni invited 40 native English speakers and 40 native tone language speakers to listen to 72 pairs of tones, which has had their fundamental frequencies removed. Mm. And then they asked them to indicate whether the tones went up or down. And they discovered that English speakers are more attuned to a note's harmonics, whilst tone language speakers are more attuned to the fundamental. Hmm. So our language can change how we perceive sound. Hmm. Petitti said, You start learning language from birth, so your auditory system is influenced by the language you're exposed to from day one. Yeah. And Perichoni added to that, um, We are interested in how brains change with experience and how our experiences predispose us to certain auditory skills. Like how when we look at something visual, it's going to take different paths through our brain. Yeah. Um, the same is also true of sound. So speech is mostly processed on the left-hand side of your brain and other sounds on the right-hand side. Speech is so fundamental to humans 
that it gets specially rooted and processed, allowing you to pick it up in crowds. So shall we do another experiment to see okay. if that happens? So this is experiment seven, which is sine wave speech. And it's a fun one, this. This experiment was devised by Chris Darwin, who's a professor of experimental psychology. So I want you to listen to another audio clip. Are you ready? Yep. And I want you to tell me what it sounded like when it's done. It sounded like alien talk. Alien talk, okay. Now, shall we prime your brain into hearing speech? Okay. So I'm going to play a short sentence and then do the original sound again. All right. She cut with her knife. Do you understand it now? Yeah, I've seen that before. Nice. Should we do a couple more? Okay. Okay, so I'm going to play the original funny sound, mm -hmm. then the speech, and then the original funny sounds. Let's go. She ironed her skirt. Yeah, I still hear it the second time with the original sound. It's cool, eh? And one more? Yeah. They're buying some bread. I got that one the first time. You understood it, did you? Yeah. Yeah. I thought it was like they're eating some breads, but it's actually they're buying some bread. So pretty close. Pretty close, yeah. So you can kind of get your brain prepared to hear voices. But I don't know actually how long that primed sensation stays. But like you just said there, yeah. you actually, that last one you sort of got before you heard what the sentence was. Mm-hmm. Our brains are really highly developed to react and prioritise certain stimulus and inputs, such as listening to speech. So this leads us on to our next exploration of perception, the effect of focus and concentration. Yeah. Now, I've got a clip here that I want you to listen to, and it's a bunch of people preparing for a party. It's quite long, so I'm going to cut most of it out of the podcast, but you can listen to it on our website, and it also works best with headphones. Now, what you need to do is listen really carefully to, this, to the female voices, okay? Okay. So I'm going to test you afterwards. This is experiment number seven. Okay, it's quite hard to listen to the women, isn't it? Um, there were a couple of bits where it was really easy, and then at the beginning and a sort of mid bit, it was harder. Did you notice anything funny, though? Mm. Anything odd going on? Yeah, in the background there was, like, Gorilla, gorilla. Okay, you picked up yeah. on that, yeah. I think I got distracted by it slightly, but I didn't. I wasn't fully sure. Yeah, so this is similar to the the classic gorilla video. There's like some basketball players, um, and then someone just walks through the scene with a gorilla suit on. But you get like told to focus on the ball or blue players or something. That's right. Yeah, you have got to count how many times people catch oh, the yeah, yeah. the ball. Wearing the blue bibs. Yeah. Um, and that actually works really well. I think this audio one isn't as good. There might be better examples than this. But it shows that when you're concentrating on something, you can really easily miss something else. So I'll, I'll put the video up on our website as well. Yeah. Um, even if you kind of know about it, you can still miss it, which is really cool. Yeah. Um, and this is an example of what's called inattention deafness. A study published in the Journal of Neuroscience seems to show that your hearing and your visual parts of your brain actually share what's called neural capacity. So think of it like a computer that's trying to do too much, it's going to stay down. Mm -hmm. um, so when one part of your brain is really busy with something, then maybe another part has to pause. Yeah. There's a brilliant example of this on a podcast called A Neurologist Explains. And in one episode, they interview a professor called, uh, a psychology professor called Nelly Lavie. She got her students to create experiments to test for inattention deafness. Mm -hmm. And then she looked at the test results for her students and when about 80% of people were deaf mm -hmm. in those experiments, she actually had to go and have a look herself because she didn't believe the results mm -hmm. and she didn't believe the sound was being played. So she actually had to ask her IT department to double check that the sound was actually playing. So that's how powerful it can be. So she knew about it. She had set the task and she knew what she was trying to, what was going to happen and yeah. it's still affecting her. That's weird. To quote Dr. Maria Shait, we found that when volunteers were performing a demanding task, they were unable to hear sounds that they would normally hear. The brain scan showed that people were not only ignoring or filtering out the sounds, they were not actually hearing them in the first place. That's like the um, gorilla and basketball player video, where um, you're concentrating on counting it, so I guess that would be the demanding, yeah. the demanding task. 
Exactly. Mobile phones have been shown to cause inattention deafness as well. Konstantin Kushlev, a researcher at the University of Virginia, says... I'm not doing accents this time, by the way. You might have noticed. The findings simply suggest that our constant digital stimulation may be contributing to increasingly problematic deficit of attention in modern society. Hmm. Which is a little bit worrying, I think. Attention is important. Yeah. So we've looked at how our eyes and our ears and our brain make sense of the world, but perception is about more than just that. It's also about what you think and what you believe. Yeah. Study after study has shown that we are terrible at making good judgments about things, that we ignore facts, that we have strong biases and a warped or incomplete understanding of so many things. And that doesn't necessarily mean it's bad. It's normal, okay? We're all like that, but it's important to be aware of it. Mm-hmm. And there's a good chart from Abstruse Goose, and this will be on our website. Now, if you take a look at this, do you understand what it's showing? Let's have a look at the things. Mm. It is showing how we can hear more than we can see? I don't know. Okay, so it's a chart, and in the middle of it, it says all you can hear and all you can see happens here. And it's a tiny part of the chart, isn't it? Mm -hmm. So you've got the electromagnetic spectrum along one axis. So that's Mm going to be things like infrared, x-rays, radio waves, things that we don't pick up on. You Mm -hmm. just pick up on visible light. You've also got the range of human hearing, which goes from... Um, about 20 hertz to 20 kilohertz. So just mm-hmm. a really, really, really tiny portion of what's going on out there we perceive. And even what we do perceive, we are kind of warping with our brains as well into mm-hmm. what makes sense for us to survive. And the caption on the chart says, in the grand scheme of things, we're all pretty much deaf and blind. Now, the reason why I showed you this is you could really easily change the axis on these graphs from the electromagnetic spectrum and um, the frequency of sound to any other topic, couldn't you? You could replace them with history or climate change or COVID or obesity or the economy. Mm-hmm. So many things. And I think it still represents an accurate view of what we know about it. Any individual just knows a tiny portion of these really complex subjects, don't they? Mm-hmm. And we'd also have biases about what those subjects are or mm. what we believe them to be, which is a bit like how our brain is interpreting and changing the signals, isn't it? Yeah. But despite that, lots of people will talk on a subject as if they're an expert. Mm. Like I'm trying to do here about perception, and I'm <laughs> certainly not, not at all. Um, so the average person on the streets, they've probably only consumed a few hours of information on any of those subjects. They might have watched the news about something. They might have read the paper about it. may even have read a book or two. And that doesn't mean you actually know a lot about it. And they probably also haven't actually truly studied um, what they're looking at. They haven't really tested their ideas or maybe looked for other competing ideas and formed a good opinion of what's right or wrong. Yeah. Like we only see visible light, Mm -hmm. not x-rays or radio waves, and we only hear a really narrow band of sound in our heads, we still see the the absolute truth of the world. Yeah. Despite our brain lying about it. And that's exactly what we do with our beliefs about everything that we understand about the world as well. Mm-hmm. And throughout your life, you're going to meet loads of people who are experts on different subjects. So being able to think critically about what they tell you is a really viable skill to learn. Yeah. How does what they say fit in with what you understand? Are they right? Are you right? It's the truth somewhere in the middle. As Shakespeare wrote... The fool doth think he is wise, but the wise man knows himself to be a fool. Ooh, deep. <laughs> Let's look at some examples of how people perceive themselves and others around them. Mm-hmm. Did you know that most drivers think they're above average? Probably. <laughs> yeah, so the majority of people think they're better than the majority. Like we were saying before, the new average is better than average. And there's been lots of studies on the so-called illusionary superiority. One from the US showed that 93% of people believe that their driving skills were above average, whilst in Sweden only 69% of people did. Very honest. (laughs) Yeah. Um, Worryingly, um, after what we've discovered about inattention deafness, the studies showed that 36% of people said that they're above average when texting or emailing, which is really scary. (laughs) 
But this doesn't just happen in driving. It's, people also have the same thoughts about their memory, their immunity to bias, their health, and so much more. Mm-hmm. Some of this could actually be a cultural thing. So like um, the missing fundamental was based maybe on your language and your culture. Yeah. Um, it seems to be that in Western nations, the participants are more likely to overestimate their abilities than people from, say, East Asian countries, yeah. where they underestimate their abilities. It maybe shows that in the West, the ego and the individual and that you're special and super is really important yeah. culturally. But which one do you think is better to have? Like, thinking you're better or thinking you're worse? Like, I guess you could think of it as really positive, really negative, but then that kind of makes the negative one sound bad, which it isn't. Yeah, I think it's probably better to not massively overestimate your abilities because what I'm going to show you is that people are judging themselves too highly mm-hmm. and that's not a good thing. Okay. Now we're going to quote Confucius here who said, real knowledge is to know the extent of one's ignorance. One of the books that I read when preparing this was called The Perils of Perception. Here's how we're wrong about nearly everything. The author, Bobby Doffey, has spent a lifetime studying people um, and been involved in lots of large-scale studies on all manner of topics, okay? So yeah. he's an expert on this. Oops. Or so he thinks. Or so he thinks, yes. <laughs> right. <laughs> so let's go into experiment eight. Now, this test is more about what people think and what you think, or what you think people think. So we start with happiness. Okay. So this is a survey that Bobby Doffey would have done. In this survey, people were asked to judge their own happiness and the average happiness of people where they lived. Now, there's no data for Guernsey, so I'm going to use the UK for this. Mm-hmm. I've got two questions for you. One is about what people thought others would answer, and the other is about what the person themselves feels. Mm-hmm. So question one. When people in the UK were asked what percentage of the population they thought were rather or very happy, what did they say? What do mm-hmm. you reckon? Mm-hmm. I think they said about 50%-ish, around that. So 50%? Yeah. Question two. What percentage of the population actually said that they were rather or very happy? 80%. 80%, okay. (laughs) Or 70 to 80, yeah, 70%. I think it's the other way around, but we'll see. In the UK, people guessed that 47% of people were happy. Yeah. But the reality is that 92% of people said they were happy. So it's a big difference, oh, isn't it? I did, I you, got you've the, got it the middle right kind one of way. right, because I thought that was, people were going to say like uh, half and half, but I, th- I knew I should have gone higher. Anyway. Well, you got about the right thing, so either you've been listening to what I've been saying, or you're just naturally gifted. Both. <laughs> what do you think the unhappiest and happiest countries were? Um, I think that... Oh, I don't want to say. You don't want to say? No. no? Okay, so the study found that Russia was the least happy country, but still 73% of people said they were happy. But Sweden topped the chart with a whopping 95%, despite That's it being dark actually... half the year. And they're nearly bordering... Well, they are bordering each other, aren't they? I was feeling it in the way. That's actually not too far away from... Um... Britain's one, though. However, the Swedes thought only half the people in their country were happy. Mm-hmm. And that was pretty much common everywhere. In each country surveyed, they massively underestimated the level of happiness. Yeah. So people think that other people are less happy than what they really are. In the same way that they think that you think you're a better driver. Well, you don't think you're a better driver than you <coughs> are. You don't drive yet, do you? Do you? Not telling you. Okay. <laughs> Daniel Kahneman, author of Thinking Fast and Slow, talks of the experiencing self and the remembering self. Mm-hmm. And people, humans, generally actually have really bad memories and we often misremember our actual enjoyment of an activity at a later date. Yeah. And we also mix up our remembering self and our experiencing self with our remembering self rewriting our opinions of an experience. Yeah. So there's an example which might make it more sense. So somebody could listen to beautiful music for 20 minutes and they're really enjoying it. Mm-hmm. And right at the end, there's a... 
screeching sound. Yeah. And they all say it ruins their experience. <laughs> Terrible. But for 19 minutes and 57 seconds, they were enjoying it. Mm-hmm. But then the remembering self will remember the end of something and that negative, and um, that will be how they bring that memory back. Mm-hmm. Not all that good stuff that came before. This could explain why people underestimate the happiness of people around them. So in the moment of being asked how happy they are, um, they give a positive reply. Mm-hmm. But when asked about the broader population, they might think about or remember, say, the negatives in society or things that affect them, and then rate that lower. Mm-hmm. I think that could be because of um, news as well, because usually they do like drastic bad stuff. Mm-hmm. Uh, maybe that could be some of the reason. And it could also be another example of the better than average effect yeah. that people have. Another reason may also be how and by who the question was asked. So in online surveys, the level of happiness is reported generally lower than when asked face-to-face. Mm-hmm. That's probably because there was another thing where people are more often to say, like, I don't know, meaner things or something if it's over a message, not face-to-face. Exactly. See, I guess you got the protection Yeah. your thing. <laughs> Yeah, um, when you're anonymous or something, or behind mm-hmm. a screen, yeah, it's mm-hmm. a barrier. We are subject to social desirability bias, a deep-seated need to make ourselves look good, to present a positive impression, or to give the responses that we think are expected. That's from Pearls of Perception. Okay, time for another question. In Great Britain, what percentage of the population is overweight? Um, about... Uh, 40%. Can I, can I guess America? You can guess America as well, yeah. About uh, 90%. <laughs> okay, a bit harsh. You're trying to upset our American listeners again, aren't you? Sorry. It's actually 62% of people mm-hmm. are overweight or obese in uh, Great Britain. But the guess was only 44. Oh, not too far away from America then. Actually, yeah, it's pretty America. similar to America. Yeah. Sorry then. <laughs> yeah, you owe them an apology. I was just doing the above average. Okay. <laughs> no, I actually think that's quite terrifying that nearly two thirds of people are too fat. Mm-hmm. But the guess was much lower, so this is a bit different to the others, isn't it? Yeah. So why do you think that would be? I'm not sure actually. So there's a couple of theories. And one is that if something is complex or complicated, Mm -hmm. it might be harder to estimate. Now, your overweightness is measured in BMI, so that's your body mass index. And that's not the most intuitive measurement, so it's your height divided by your weight squared. Okay. not a calculation that people are going to easily do or put into context. And another idea is that the more normal something becomes, the more accepted it becomes. Mm -hmm. So that... The more people who are overweight, mm-hmm. the bigger the problem. Mm-hmm. <laughs> no oh, pun intended. Oh, 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 dear. So this even extends to um, news reports warning that people are overweight. So just the very act of messaging that there's a significant number of obese people makes people more comfortable with that idea because it's become normal to them to hear people overweight. Yeah. So that actually makes it really difficult for um, things to change. Yeah, well, health. Yeah, and health warnings and things. Yeah. Like, how do you do a health warning if you keep saying everybody's too fat? Yeah. Oh, that's normal. It's okay that I'm too fat. That's how people are. What do you do? Um, I'm not sure. I'm try not to be. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So at least the problems of. Yeah, where do you go from Try there? Try to reduce the problem, yeah. <laughs> you get similar skewed results between reality and what people perceive with sugar consumption. So, out of every 100 people in your country, how many do you think eat more sugar than the recommended daily limit? Mm, about 50%. Okay, so 50 people eat more sugar, and... Do you think you eat more sugar than the recommended daily limit? Young child, he likes sweets. uh, (laughs) Depends what day, but um, 
I don't think so. Let's have a look, shall we? So in Great Britain, the perceived social norm is that 69% of people eat more than their daily recommended amount, but only 44% of people do. It's probably self-reported, so you don't know how accurate it is. Yeah. In each country tested, the perceived level of national sugar consumption was higher than what they said themselves that they consumed. Have you noticed a pattern with these statistics? <laughs> Some of them are exactly the same. The guessing guesses are pretty much exactly the same. Like three sixty nine percent, a couple of sixty four, sixty six, and a seventy. Mm-hmm. These are the closest. Well, you'll see that in every case, mm-hmm. people are either over or underestimating something quite dramatically, mm-hmm. and in most cases. If something's overestimated in one country, it's going to be overestimated in another yeah. as well, isn't it? And in every case where an individual rated the general population, it's more negative than how they'd rate themselves. We're all biased to think we are better than others. Mm-hmm. Well, there may be some listeners out there who aren't that biased, but generally we're all biased to think that we are better than others. <laughs> When paired with the other aspects of human psychology, you start to understand why we become so bad at perceiving reality and even worse, taking on new knowledge and using that to refine our understanding. And what Cass Sunstein calls asymmetric updating will happily accept something that will fit our own narrative of the world, even if the evidence against it is really small or has been entirely discredited. Mm. Do you want to do this quote? Okay. Every man takes the limits of his own field of vision for the limits of the world. Do you know what that means? No. I think it's going to be what you see as the reality mm-hmm. in the world or what you understand. Mm-hmm. That's the limit of it. That's the truth. That's what's right. You don't look beyond that. Oh, yeah. But you get groups of people called super predictors and they are really good at one thing. What do you think it is? Um, predicting? Yeah, predicting things and getting those predictions right. Uh, do you know what their special power is? Being really good at, like, like guessing the weather the next day. How do you think they can do that, though? What gives By them that ability? By being weathermen. <laughs> um, no, it's about more than just weather, this. Oh. It's about all sorts of things. Um, they, they believe. They feel the power. Not exactly. No. Do you want me to tell you? Okay. <laughs> they have the ability to take on new information and change their minds. Whoa. Yeah. So, basically, their, their minds, like... Play-Doh so it can change and change to how it needs to. Exactly, yeah. That's a good example. <laughs> but it's human nature to want your ideas validated because it hurts to be wrong or criticised. Mm-hmm. And unfortunately in the modern world, um, this is probably worse than ever. Mm-hmm. So throughout history, people have always banded together into groups that have shared their ideas. Yeah. Um, so like religions? Yeah, or any any sort of group or party or belief there. Mm-hmm. But biased journalism, social media, personalised search and discovery algorithms, they're all pushing content that fits people's existing narratives. Mm-hmm. And services such as Google and Facebook get more and more personalised and targeted to individuals' existing perceptions of the world. It's going to become more and more of an echo chamber and only get worse. The news they see, the people they talk to, the experts they hear have all already been targeted at them. BBC journalist Evan Davis tells it, this is when talking about working in the media, first simplify, then exaggerate. He says that those in the media have to sell their programmes to editors and audiences by puffing up facts beyond anything they deserve. What makes it worse is statistics and scientific papers, they're really complex and they're hard things to understand. And a lot of people, including journalists, they don't even know how to read or interpret the data they're seeing. And they just can't be bothered. And they can't be bothered. Yeah, people are lazy as well. Yeah. And now another little quote here from Perils of Perception. While we shouldn't think there was ever an age of perfectly neutral information, we also shouldn't kid ourselves. We're travelling towards a world where disinformation has more opportunity to be created and travel faster. So this is a graph with two bars on it, yeah. measuring um, some tax cuts. 
Yeah. And would you say that there's a big impact there? Are the bars? Yeah, yeah. It's only like a, like eight percent difference between the lowest point that you could get and the highest point that you could get. But it looks massive. Exactly, you got it there. They've exaggerated it. So the lowest one is thirty-five percent, and the highest one is forty percent. Yeah. But the graph starts at thirty-four and goes up to forty-two percent. Yeah. Which means that visually, the difference looks massive, but in reality, it's only a couple of percent. Mm-hmm. So that's uh, from Fox News, who we know probably aren't particularly honest or good at these graphs. That may not actually be poorly designed, but rather deliberately designed to twist a message and change people's perception, aka fake news. Mm. When we build the truth, and I do truth in inverted commas, in our heads, our reality, our perception is a two-way process. Just like when you're seeing. Mm -hmm. So when you read a fact, it doesn't just enter your head unaltered and change how you think, correcting what was wrong before. Like sight, it's a two-way process. It's what we expect to see and what What we are seeing. So all your existing knowledge and beliefs are travelling in the opposite direction to what they're meeting. And maybe different parts of the brain are also seeing and interpreting things differently. Mm -hmm. Then you decide if this new information is of value or not and which bits you're going to extract, which bits suit you, which bits don't. So when people throw around clearly wrong or misleading or badly created information, it can be really dangerous. There's also the idea that we can only perceive what we have the language to describe. So maybe somebody who doesn't have the language to talk about complex subjects is going to find it more difficult to even understand them. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think I've seen things like that before. Returning to our sense of sight for a moment, on clear days, distant objects seem closer than they are. Our senses and brain are lying. Like with sight, we need the same awareness with what we believe. I'm going to quote again from Pearl to Perception here. However, it is possible to learn when our initial perceptions are likely to be biased. We can slow down and consider whether we're being led astray. So when we're making a decision on whether to climb a hill, we should stop to think whether that summit looks much closer than it really is because... It's a clear day. Remember back to the chart showing how little our senses perceived? Mm-hmm. Psychologist Richard Gregory thinks that 95% of the information that hits our eyes is lost by the time it reaches our brain. So we only interpret a fraction of everything that we see. Ah, but that's his perception. <laughs> that is his perception. Yeah, how well has he studied that? Mm-hmm. Has he just guessed it? Mm-hmm. But that's exactly the same as how we interpret some complex subjects. And that's where the problems start to begin. Something like the economy, you only know a tiny percentage of how that works. Mm-hmm. I think the best summary of the problems this causes and our inabilities to I know, challenge our own perceptions comes from Philip K. Dick. Maybe each human being lives in a unique world, a private world, different from those inhabited and experienced by all other humans. If reality differs from person to person, can we speak of a singular reality? Or shouldn't we really be talking about plural realities? And if there are plural realities, are some more true, more real than others? What about the world of the schizophrenic? Maybe it's as real as our world. Maybe we cannot say that we're in touch with reality and he is not, but should instead say, his reality is so different from ours that he can't explain his to us and we can't explain ours to him. The problem, then, is that if subjective worlds are experienced too differently, there occurs a breakdown in communication. And there is the real illness. (laughs) And if you want to understand more about how we perceive the truth, listen to a Neuroscientist Explains podcast on the subject. Yeah, they've got a really good show. A couple of shows, actually, on it. And also remember, I am no expert on this. Don't take everything that I've said as 100% accurate. I might have misunderstood something, and I think I might have actually made something up slightly too. Well, um, at least you don't think you're better than average, so not the the new normal average. (laughs) I know, I'm certainly not better than average. I blow average away, actually. Mm, That made no sense. But you get all sorts of weird things in perception. So when I was reading The Man Who Mistook His Wife for a Hat, Mm -hmm. um, there was one... Um, sort of study there which was two twins and they saw well 
I'm not sure how they saw the world, but for them, maths and numbers were really important. Mm-hmm. And that's what brought the world alive for them. And they would be able to spot numbers and maths and patterns in everything around them. Yeah. So they saw the world differently. There's another guy as well who, um, I can't remember what's wrong with him, but I think he's in his 60s. And he couldn't form new memories. And he was convinced he was still 23 or something. Mm-hmm. And he would talk about the world as if he was still that age. And everything he would talk about would have been things from his life 40 years earlier. Yeah. Um, but he looked at himself in a mirror and he sort of break down he couldn't understand it and he had like a really strong adverse reaction to it because he thought it was some horrible hideous trick being played when he saw this old face looking back mm-hmm. at him um thankfully because he couldn't form new memories he didn't remember that pain that he suffered yeah but it shows that our perceptions are our brains they're, they're fragile things yeah and that is the end of the show on perception talking about that that's not canon Yes, we are a member of That's Not Canon, which is a podcast network with lots of other shows. And I'm going to play a trailer for one now, which you should listen to. Hi, I'm Travis. And I'm Serge. And we are the hosts of Now That's Interesting podcast. Here we talk about the topics that catch our interest and hopefully spark your curiosity to dig deeper into the world around you. We go into enough detail to get a better understanding of the topic we cover. Say just a bit above your average pub chat. We talk about everything from conspiracy theories here on Earth to rovers on Mars and everything in between. Find us on whichever platform you get your podcast fix. Thank you very much for listening. Thank you. Did you enjoy it? I did. I, I hope the listeners did too. Um, please visit our social media. Where are we? We are at Twitter. Yeah, Curie Child Pod. Instagram. Curie Child Pod. Um, Facebook. Yep, Facebook. Yep, we've got a website, which is... Uh, com. That's right. And if you go to shop.acuriosityofachild.com, you can buy... Hoodies, cushions, t-shirts, and... Mugs. And more. And more. more. Yeah, and more. And mugs. That should be our new thing. Yeah. Um, And you can also get Anton's gaming ones there. So check out his gaming channel. That is on YouTube. Um, What's it called? Curiosity of a Child Gaming. That's right, yeah. So all sorts of awesomely cool, amazing things. Make sure you get out and about as well. Explore the world. Question things but not in a horrible way um just be aware of the world around you bye bye love you